We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody, what's going on? I wanted to let you guys know before we jump into today's show that this is going to be a two-part episode of Draft Content. So I'm going to explain everything at the beginning of the intro with our guests, so I'm not going to do that here. But Nathan Grubel is our guest. He's the content manager for No Ceilings NBA. You can follow their Substack at noceilings.substack.com for free, okay? Great draft content. There you have a daily podcast that's up on their podcast feed. Subscribe to their podcast. Awesome stuff there. But we're talking a lot of NBA draft here, a lot of prospects, because the Pacers have a lot of picks. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. But I want to let you guys know this is part one. So if you're looking for part two, that's going to drop on the same podcast feed the same day. So if you're listening to part one, don't stop there. We got part two for you, which is going to be full of more players to talk about. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. So without further ado, let's bring on our guest, Nathan Grubel, and talk NBA draft. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going. 
your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace. He is a draft expert at No Ceilings NBA. It's the one and only Nathan Grubel. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. First time on Setting the Pace, talking some Pacers. Let's go. (laughs) There we go. That's what we like to hear. So just to kind of lay out everything for our listeners today, we're going to be doing a fun exercise here where each of us is going to bring a different player to the conversation to talk about in in a certain tier. So the Pacers obviously have their own pick, which is in that five to eight range right now uh, before the lottery. They've also got the Cavaliers pick. They've also got the Celtics pick. And if the Rockets end up with one of the worst two records in the NBA, which they're currently tied for the worst record right now with Detroit, they will have that 31st overall pick too. So the Pacers are kind of all over the board here. So we thought we'd start with that five to eight range here, talking about some players that make sense for the Pacers. And so Nathan, since you are our guest, I'm going to let you take the floor and let us know the first player that comes to your mind, five to eight range that you think would be a perfect fit for the Indiana Pacers. So why don't we why don't we set the scene a little bit statistically as far as where the Pacers currently rate at to get a better idea of where I thought you guys should go okay. with the seventh overall pick as things stand right now. So negative 2.3 adjusted net rating. A lot of these are per dunks and threes. I love using dunks and threes. I don't know if you guys use it or not, but eighth quickest pace in the league, 13th in points scored, 17th in effective field goal percentage, 28th rim field goal percentage, 26th in the mid-range, 12th. On threes, and then there, there's some defensive numbers that are really interesting as well. But 21st in offensive rebounding percentage, 30th in defensive rebounding percentage. So a lot of those numbers, offense, rebounding, and then some of the hits or misses on the defensive side outside of the playmaking and the rim protection on that end. To me, I think you guys could really use a combo forward who could finish effectively at the rim while also bolstering that perimeter defense and giving you a little bit of interior presence as far as rebounding is concerned. That's where I wanted to go with you guys with that high of a pick. So a guy who stands out to me, somebody who I just wrote about at NoSillingsNBA.com, and I got to see him in person, Villanova against UConn. I like Cam Whitmore for you guys a lot. So he adds high-level rim finishing off the bounce, given, you know, the pace and the space that you guys obviously like to play with. He's certainly improved as the season has gone on as a floor spacer, so you don't necessarily lose too much for, with the three ball. He's a great positional rebounder, multi-positional defender. The downside, though, is that he lacks the upside currently as a high assist playmaker on the wing. So you guys are, you guys rate out very high in assist rate. You guys love to keep that ball moving. I know a lot of that's from Tyrese Halliburton, Andrew Nembhard. You guys have those two guards in place to really set the table for everybody else. But if you want a guy who's consistently making those quick decisions as soon as he catches the ball as far as redirecting it, not scoring or shooting himself, Cam's not giving you that right now. He's going to have to grow into that. So I'm curious as to where you guys kind of sit as far as my first choice for you guys with that seventh pick. I'm definitely intrigued by Cam Whitmore. I was just reading your article today that, that you put out, which everybody will have to check that out. So make sure you plug that article throughout this episode. But I loved your write-up on Cam. You have him moving up the board. I think that he's someone that the Pacers have a major need at the four spot. And I think that he would definitely fit into that. Um, I think that this would be a great pick that the Pacers would be happy about. Yeah, I mean, Cam Moore was somebody that was on my board, like in the top five early on before the season started. And there's been a few players that I think have jumped him right now in terms of that. But I, I don't think he's fallen too far. I currently have him 
six on my big board. So if the Pacers were able to get him at seven, I think that would be a really nice fit as well. I, I think that he makes a lot of sense. And one of the things you brought up, the assist thing, that's something Rick Carlisle has been kind of preaching recently as well. Mm-hmm. After the Pacers beat the Bulls, uh, Dustin Dopirak from the Indy Star, I think, asked a question about you know scoring. And he's like, you're looking at the wrong thing here. He said, we're, we're more concerned with the assist. And I think just getting the ball moving. So even, even if Cam Whitmore right now is not somebody that's known for being a, a facilitator, or just a ball mover and can kind of be a ball stopper maybe. I think that Rick Carlisle will coach that out of him. And what we've seen with Benedict Matherin this year, coming off the bench, earning those minutes, I think that if they believe in Cam's ability, that they're going to really focus on making him earn that that level of like that high draft pick, getting a lot of playing time right away. So, But I do like the pick. I think that that's somebody that's going to be on their on their board as well as a player of intrigue. There is one thing I wrote about in my piece specifically that I would want to highlight with that as well. If Pacers fans are listening and, and they are concerned about the playmaking potential with Cam, they, they see that as a downside more than an upside. When you're watching that Villanova team, that offense is horrendous. Like you're, you're, you're looking at multiple guards who don't have the athleticism, the requisite quickness to always be breaking and busting through the next level of the defense to get that ball moving. They're dribbling the air out of the ball. And then it's, you're getting, Cam's getting the ball swung around to him late in the shot clock to a point where he kind of needs to put a shot up or he needs to do something with it, not necessarily move it to somebody else. So in his defense, I don't think it's 100% fair for, for anyone out there to say that he definitively can't grow into or be more of a, a ball mover, as Alex liked to say, not even just a, a full-on playmaker. I don't think we've seen enough of that from him yet. So I would give him just, just a slight pass in that regard to his game and focus on the, the other things that he brings to the table. I love it. I love it. Now, here's the next thing. Alex, do you want me to take this one, or do you want to go? All up to you, Fachi. I'll let you take it. All right. I'm going to go one, and I know we both like this one. So yeah, go, go I hope for this it. doesn't hurt, but – Drace Walker is someone that I am very intrigued by because the Pacers, they have a major need at the four spot. And I I do think Walker could fit that. That's why I was also interested in Cam. Um, This is someone that at six foot eight, seven foot two wingspan, I think that it's got to be looking intriguing. He's versatile. I think this is someone that can rebound very well still also just a freshman. So he will be at at this point, basically close to 20 years old, but that'll be 20 years old by the start of the season. Uh, defensively, I like what I see. I think that he's been a good part of why Houston has been so successful this year. But you could see, based off of the top two picks that we've identified, the Pacers have a major need here. And I think both players can satisfy that. I see them both in that five to eight-ish range, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. So Jairus Walker is actually fourth overall on my board. And the only reason why I didn't put him here for this exercise is that the picking in that seven range, to me, going off my rankings, he'd already be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So could be. The, the, the thing about Jairus that, that I think you did a great job, Fachi, outlining is there really aren't too many weaknesses in his game. He checks so many different boxes. And I think while... He may not necessarily be hanging his hat on one particular thing where you just point to him like, yep, that's 100%. That's his identity. There are just so many other things that he can do on the court at any given time. He's obviously a really good interior finisher. You mentioned the rebounding. He adds to you as far as defensive playmaking, shot blocking, coming over from the weak side. I think he has more passing juice than he's been able to show at Houston if he gets more opportunities with the ball in his hands. And then his upside 
really stems from what you saw at IMG Academy, him being a mid-range shot creator, right? Somebody who can go into the mid post, turn face, hit some of those fallaway jumpers. That's another element that I think you guys could use a little bit more of. I know that Benedict Matherin is going to be one of those guys for you, but Matherin, Halliburton, Nemhard, they either want to get to the rim or, or they want to chuck up threes. Why not add another dimension to that offense, especially with, you know, you guys committing to a guy like Miles Turner to space the floor at that center position, give Jairus a little bit of room to, to cook in the mid range off short rolls. And, and I think that'd be a great pick for you guys. Yeah. Jairus Walker is number four on my big board as well. Look at so that. we're kind of in Three the, uh, alike. yeah, I don't know where Fachi has Jairus out on his big board yet. Honestly, here, here's the thing. Here's what I'm taking a great assault. Last year, patients were projected to finish with the fifth, you know, fifth overall pick. If it worked out that way, fifth worst record end up falling back to six at this point, maybe we move up. We'll see what happens in March Madness. I figured, though, he could be anywhere from four to seven, four to eight. So we'll see what happens. But that's my man crush pick of this year's draft. Love it. Yeah, definitely fits a position of need. So I'm going to go last year. Nathan, I want you to kind of take the floor here when I list this player because I know you have done more coverage of these guys than I have. So I don't need to sit here and ramble about somebody that I'm just not, like, going to give the great analysis on. But a player that I'm kind of intrigued by He's listed as a guard, and the Pacers fans are probably smacking their heads thinking, we don't need another guard, but he's six foot seven. It's Anthony Black. I think Anthony Black is somebody that could make a lot of sense for the Pacers because of the way he plays, the style that he plays, his on-ball defense, his off-ball defense. Shooting is not something that's great. I think that's got to improve, obviously, but his ability to finish through contact, uh, being more of a facilitator, a playmaker, that kind of thing, makes the right moves, can be a nice connector. I think that there's a lot of intrigue with Anthony Black. I have him seven on my board, so this is perfectly where we're at with looking at that five to five to eight range. What are your thoughts on Anthony Black? That's a very interesting pick by you, Thank my you. friend. Somebody who watches the Pacers more, more than I do by default with you guys covering the team. Is Anthony Black, in your mind, though, a little, a little redundant with what you have going on with Tyler Halliburton and Andrew Nemhard right now? Because... I, if you take the ball out of Anthony Black's hands, I'm not confident he's going to give you enough away from the ball to justify just slotting him in that rotation ahead of or or alongside some of those other names. I'm curious about your thoughts there. Bachi? I think that that's a great point because right now the Pacers have other guards that we want to get the ball more, but we're seeing with Benedict Matherman, he needs the ball. He, he you know, That's another guy. He, he needs it. So – in this situation with Anthony Black, who, you know, to be honest, I'm I'm not, I don't know the ins and outs of his game. That's a point that worries me a little bit because the only one ball going around, and, and we know the Pacers are a better team when that ball is in Tyrese Halliburton's hands. Yeah, I'll, I'll say for me, I, when you've seen Andrew Nimhard, everybody thought, oh, he's got to have the ball in his hands. He's more of a point guard. He's not a guy that can play off ball. He, he can't do this. He can't do that. And Andrew even came on our show and was like, no, I can play off ball. I just didn't really showcase that a lot. So I think Anthony Black, even if he isn't uh, starting, I think coming off the bench, I know it's seventh overall pick, you probably want to see him start, whatever. But at this point, I think if he was running the second unit, playing with a T.J. McConnell, playing with an Andrew Nimhart, I think that he could be that second facilitator. And we've known from Carlisle all season long, he likes having two guys out there that can't mm -hmm. facilitate the ball. We've seen a lot of Nimhart-Halliburton combinations. And then when Halliburton was out, we saw a lot of McConnell-Nimhart combinations just because that was what was best for the team and how they like to move the basketball. I, I do agree with Fachi that Benedict Mather needs the ball in his hands, but Ben's a scorer, and that's what Ben's going to do. Ben's not going to be looking for others. But I think if you put 
a guy that, you know, I think Kevin O'Connor compared Anthony Black to a guy like Lonzo Ball. I think if you put another connector yep. like that out there on the floor that can be that high of an upside defensively, you can't have too many guys like Adrian Emhart, but especially one that I think might be a little bit more athletic, a little bit taller, that kind of thing. So maybe you can guard a bigger position. He He's almost like the reverse Lonzo Ball to a degree. I think that is like the name. I think that's definitely the best comp out there, but where, where I would be yelling at my TV when Lonzo was in UCLA to pressure the rim more, get downhill, because when he did, great things just seemed to happen for that team. There were too, too often where he wanted to camp outside the perimeter and, and rely too much on that jumper, whereas Anthony Black, he's not relying on that jump shot. He mm-hmm. wants to put downhill rim pressure on there. And with the way that you guys play at, at the pace that you do, the number of threes that you attempt per game, you're going to have the floor spread for him at all times to where if you're more comfortable with having the ball in his hands a little bit more than some of these other guards and you want him to make those downhill decisions, you guys technically have the offensive infrastructure in place to take advantage of some of his greatest skills. Mm. I love it. I love it. So anything else you want to add there, Fachi, on Anthony yeah, I was, Black? I was just going to say, because one player we saw, Chris Duarte last year, had the ball in his hands more, was far more effective this year, you know, it's, it's been tough for Duarte not having the ball as much as he previously had it. We've seen him struggle at times. So that point that you're getting does, better, he's getting it's, better, it's definitely getting better. And as we're recording this, things look better this week than they did last week. But, you know, <laughs> it, it could change in any moment. But that was a great point by you, Nathan. And that's something I'll be keeping my eye on. All right. So Anthony Black, just somebody we haven't talked about a lot. So I want to get your thoughts on him because I do see the upside there. I do like him. Uh, I'm just curious, Nathan, before we move on, where do you have Anthony Black on your big board? Anthony Black, someone who's actually fallen down my big board a little bit. I I think it's more so I'm still trying to figure out the correct evaluation for him and to assess his ceiling properly, right? So Mm -hmm. if he's not getting downhill rim pressure, what else is he doing offensively right now outside of just being a ball mover? And then defensively, if you're slotting him into a lineup where you're playing him with multiple guards – I'm assuming that means you expect him to be able to guard up in position. He's been a little inconsistent on the defensive side. So those are just some concerns that I have that have knocked him down my board a little bit along with obviously the the lack of consistent shot making. If he hits though, Alex, to your point, he could absolutely end up as one of the top six, seven players in this draft class. And and seems like he has a safer floor than, than I would project for him. He's just another one of these guys I've struggled with lately. That's totally fair. Yeah, it's it's one of those guys that I'm just intrigued by. He's not necessarily like, oh, this is like my top three for where the Pacers have this pick here because I think there are maybe some other guys that fit better and somebody we probably mm-hmm. won't bring up today just because it won't fit into our, our area as Grady Dick. That's another guy that I'm really intrigued by for the Pacers. I think he's a Carlisle guy through and through. But um, I think now is a perfect time to transition to our next tier. That was the 15 to 20 range, if I'm not mistaken. So Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let you take the floor, Nathan, unless unless you want to give it to me or Fachi first. It, correct me. I thought we were talking about the 25th and 28th picks here by, by standings, unless you wanted to go like a mid-lottery player. Well, we're, we're looking at mid, too, just in case the Pacers happen to make a trade to move up because That's, they do that, have all these picks. So we're just kind of like setting our different tiers up here. So yeah. not just where the Pacers are projected <laughs> to pick now, but like, okay, this is like 5 to 10 range. Now let's do 15 to 20. Then the last part will do like 25 to 32 range, which I know that's kind of interchangeable anyway. So uh, 15 to 20 is where I wanted to look at next. Sure. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a player who I had picked out for, for around like that 25th spot. But if everything continues to break right for him, another guy who I saw live, he could go top 20. And that's Jordan Hawkins out of UConn. Now, yeah. 
that might be a little bit rich for, for some people to take him that high in that range. He might not, might also be the perfect fit for the Pacers in terms of what you're looking for to add to the team dynamic, but he would fit in with everything you guys do really well, which is consistent perimeter shooting. This guy's a lights out shooter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely movement shooter. I, I've compared him heavily to somebody who's like a bigger Isaiah Joe. And you've seen Isaiah Joe, once he's got an opportunity for the Oklahoma City Thunder, he is absolutely tearing it up close to 45% from three on really good volume. Hawkins is a 38% three-point shooter on near seven attempts per game. He has range for days. And he's getting more comfortable operating out of DHOs, being a a secondary creator out of pick and roll. He's been improved in both of those areas over the last month. And then you guys do need to shore up some errors in your perimeter defense. He gives you that. He is one of the best team defenders on the wing in this class. He's somebody who's always active and looking to make defensive plays, particularly steals. He traps and times those traps really well. He's just another guy who you can add him into the mix. He's not taking the ball out of anyone else's hands. To me, he's someone who's only adding to what you guys already do well. So maybe not the most conventional name, given the positional depth you guys have, but somebody who I would not be shocked if he does rise up to that top 20 range. I am very intrigued with with good shooters. I mean, the Pacers, (laughs) they, they shoot the three ball quite a lot, and obviously we could use help on the defensive end as well. So it seems like we're able to accomplish a little bit of both there. So I am definitely intrigued by that pick. Alex, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest Jordan Hawkins fan right now. I mean, in terms of where the Pacers are drafting, what they need, I still think they have enough guards and shooting on their team. So I don't know if he's the guy that I would look at. But, I mean, at that point, if you're taking that pick at 20, 25, I think is where you have him ranked, you said, that's a pretty solid pickup at 25. So I think you have to put that into consideration as well. So it's not necessarily like, oh, at 15, I'm taking Jordan Hawkins. No, you're you're talking more later first round than I think. That is more where his value is at for me. Um, I probably have him in that 23 to 25 range myself. But uh, he's he's definitely a guy that's been projecting up, I think, because of what you've talked about, Nathan, the shooting and the potential on the defense. I mean, that is something that would make sense for the Pacers. I just wonder if size-wise, that's what they would look at. Sure. And if for if you guys are ready for mine, which you know my next pick, I do have them in that fifteen to twenty-five range, fifteen to twenty, I'd say. Uh, but I'd love to hear Nathan's thoughts on this. Bryce Sensenbaum. We're talking about one of the more elite shooters in in this draft, in my opinion, uh, at a wing position that the Pacers obviously have a need for right now. Aaron Neesmith, he's done what he can do. Great guy. The Pacers made a move for Jordan Wara, but I don't think that any of them are convinced that this could be our long term three. And maybe Sensabaugh is not that guy, but if you want to talk about three-point shooting and the style the Pacers like, he he's shooting over 41% from the field. He is a freshman, so still, you know, I guess he'll be close to 20 by, by the time of the draft. Efficient, but curious to hear your thoughts. He's six foot six, so he's not going to give you that, you know, that six eight frame that you might covet, but you're still getting you're filling a need over here with Bryce. Man, Bryce Sensabaugh is one of the most intriguing names we can talk about in this draft class overall, and he's somebody who I I am even higher on him than the range you guys have him right there, Fachi, with your pick. I have him at 13th on my personal big board. If you guys could get him, if you slide it a little bit, why not? Go get yourself, again, one of the most efficient shooters we have in all facets in this draft class, right? We know about the catch-and-shoot ability. We know he can create for you in the mid-range, an area that we highlighted maybe the Pacers could use 
a little bit more of that. He can be a little bit of a movement shooting guy. I know he hasn't been asked to do that a ton at Ohio State, but you look up her synergy, the shots that he has taken in those play types, he's knocked down virtually all of them. He, he rates out as an incredibly high usage, high efficiency offensive player to where you could project him maybe as a second option or depending on your lineup construction, maybe the, the first option. If he's playing with some of the other second unit guys and looking at him to be the primary bucket getter, why can't he be that guy? He also gives you positional rebounding. Now, he's not going to give you the same defensive ability as some of the other mm-hmm. names that we've talked about. I, I actually don't think he's bad on the ball, just given what I've seen. He's another guy I got to see up close and personal at Madison Square Garden earlier in the season. I don't think he's bad on the ball, but off the ball, he was not aware of what was going on around him, and he's not the quickest guy either in terms of moving laterally, so he's not one of these guys who even if he misses something – Is he always going to be able to recover to those spots he should? He's not going to be that type of defender. So you you do have some some weaknesses in his game along with a lack of playmaking similar to Cam. But the upside that you can get offensively in that 15 to 20 range, if he were to fall to there, that could be great for you guys as a pickup. And one thing just to touch on real quick is Kevin O'Connor's comp for him and comps they could be all over the place but he had mini tj warren and when you hear that as a pacer fan you immediately just go i think i kind of want that you know but it, it would be interesting to see but i know i know you're not getting maybe uh the polished defender that that you're you're coveting but when you're talking about a score this guy has you know some sky high potential in my opinion but i gotta say this if my next pick next round is once again, two picks off where you have and we miss out, I might just start crying because if the Pacers are missing out on such good talent by just a pick or two, whew, it's going to be rough when we have four picks in this draft. TJ Warren's a great name for him, but the the, the scary part about that is, Fachi, that TJ Warren wasn't nearly the same level of shooter that Sensabaugh already is right now. So you can imagine the level of improvement that can take place over a few years. How worried should we be about the two meniscus injuries that he suffered in high school? Is that something that's going to be a reoccurring thing with him? Because we already know he's not the most athletic guy. He he's definitely lacks in athleticism. He's, he's a very smart IQ basketball player, especially on the offensive end. But I do worry about that a little bit. I'm not as concerned with some of those prior injuries as I am just him staying in shape. In, yeah. in general, right? Like he was right. somebody who needed to to certainly drop some pounds and get in better shape to come into the Ohio State season. He did that. He stayed in shape all year long, and we've shown what he can do when he is in that type of shape. But that was a concern that scouts had coming into this season, why he didn't rate probably as high as he could have in the RSCI rankings overall. So that would be more of my concern with him physically than prior injuries. That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by Bryce. I think anywhere from the 13 to 18 range feels about right for him in mm-hmm. terms of ranking him. I've had him up and down my board a couple of different times, and I think I have him right now at 14, but my 13 is probably a little bit of a homer pick because I got uh, Jalen Hutchifino at 13. I'm just a big believer in him and his defensive abilities, but that's not the guy I'm going to bring up because that's not in the right range, but just got to give a shout-out to my Indiana Hoosier fan. L- uh, listen, man, I have him at 14. Are we we like sharing notes before the podcast on big boards? Or? So we I'm have, feeling we have, left out over here. So we, we have Bryce and Hutchifino switch, I think. Yes. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, no, I'm just a big – I'm a big Hutchifino fan. But, no, the guy that I wanted to bring up, and I, I think this would not surprise Pacer fans at all if this is the – player they can get their hands on because they are not afraid to take older players in the draft. And I think a guy that the Pacers had their eyes on last year 
is very similar because they're brothers. I'm going with Chris Murray from Iowa. This is a kid that, you know, 22, 23 years old, six foot eight, very similar body build to his brother, obviously not as, not as talented, but still did a heck of a job last year with his brother and Iowa and did a great job this year in the big 10 season as well. So I've got to see him light, uh, light the pace, uh, light the pace, not the pace, the Hoosiers light the Hoosiers up uh, right in front of my TV screen. And I'm just like, this guy has a lot of great things that I think the Pacers would value, especially a position of need. So I think that he's a smart basketball player, solid defender, good rebounder, shot pretty average from three, 30, 37%, I believe this season. So that's a pretty good number there. I just, I, I really do like his game. And I think in that 15 to 20 range, if you can get him there, that's a really good value. So a, a fun debate on social media earlier on in the season was with Chris Murray's offensive explosion, what he continues to do as a rebounder, as a potential defensive playmaker, like why isn't he jumping up as high as his brother did last year in the draft? And my answer to that would be Chris doesn't have nearly the same creation upside that yeah. I felt that Keegan had. Keegan, I thought that he could be a, a Tobias Harris type offensive player in, in the NBA. And now we're seeing that he may very well be on pace to be that type of player that may not just be a high ceiling comp for him anymore. I, I don't see that type of creation ability from Chris, but what we do see Alex is one of the better play finishers that we have in this draft, right? Somebody who can catch the dump off pass, finish around the basket. He can be sort of this really fun pick and roll type guy for you. And then we know floor spacing spot up shooter. He, he's money. He's going to be another one of these guys who can knock down 40 plus percent of his threes while giving you some of that positional rebounding. You guys want more help with the four combo forward spot he would absolutely give that to you I know Pacers fans they might think that that's a little bit of a quote-unquote boring pick but you know what sometimes you need to go boring to win games in, yep. in the NBA you just need guys who can play the right way and that's certainly Chris Murray I'm excited here's the thing I'm a little bit scarred from from the regression in Chris Duarte but at the same point this team he does fit the timeline of this team everybody in the Pacers is honestly in that 23 year old range and mm -hmm. i do think that murray has taken a, a big step forward uh, a couple of years ago i do remember being like keegan murray has a brother like what and i remember like looking <laughs> at him at the end of the bench and you fast forward two years later there's been drastic improvement so um you know i would definitely be fine with that pick in the the later range you know maybe dealing with like the cleveland cavaliers first round pick anything of that sort yeah i don't know how far he's gonna fall that's the thing because i feel like I think you could see similar to what we saw last year when Cleveland had the 14th pick. I could see them, you know, someone like that that's 14th that thinks that, okay, maybe we need to get a guy that's ready now because we know the Pacers did the same thing with Chris Duarte two years ago. I could see him going as high as like 15, 14, 15 range. It would not shock me. But I currently have him 16 on my board. Nathan, is that where you have him? I, I do not. I, I have him 21. But but okay. to Alex's point, when, when you get into that like 15 to, to 20 range or even all the way down to 25, one of my pieces I just did for No Ceilings last week was it was all about finding balance and taking a statistical look at what are the types of players that seem to be succeeding in the NBA. And it's, it's as common of an answer. Get it. It's backed by stats. It's some of the fun research I got to do. It's just putting examples on paper, but size and shooting just wins, wins, wins in the NBA. And when you look at some of those other names you might find at a 21 to 30 range, there are some guards. There's some guys who we aren't sure how much of an offensive factor they're going to be early on in their careers. 
you take a look at some of the other names, then you look at Chris Spear and you're like, well, I might just want to take the guy who has plus size for a position who can shoot the lights yeah. out. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, teams at that point are trying to get players to help them now with their draft yep. picks, and that's where I think Chris Murray, especially if you've liked anything Keegan's done, you think, okay, maybe he can be a similar player to this. That's where I think teams could be intrigued. But I do like his fit, and I think him not being a ball, like a, a creator, isn't a big deal for the Pacers because they have enough of that with Tyrese. I mean, look at what Tyrese has done for so many guys this year. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can play defense and shoot the ball, I think you're going to be okay on this team and just be – a uh, smart player. I, I think he's kind of a low maintenance kind of guy. He, he's not going to need the ball to be effective. He's just going to do what he needs to do. So that 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 does make me excited. And what other way to tie the Pacers Kings rivalry together than having <laughs> brothers facing each other? I mean, my goodness, it, it sounds like a perfect match made in heaven if you're looking for storylines. <laughs> it definitely it does. Absolutely. Feels like something out of Game of Thrones where all of a sudden it's like <laughs> another brother's coming about. Like uh, I could definitely see that. That that would spice up the storyline a bit. All right, everybody, that does it for part one of the draft conversation there with Nathan Grubel. Don't stop here. Go to part two. Listen to that. We're going to conclude our tiers talking points here with looking at players that could be available from the 25 to 32 range. What Pacers players make sense? Could they even consider doing a draft and stash knowing they have all these picks? And if they did that, what players would be available? Not only do we talk about the end of the first round, early part of the second round, we do jump into the first round again, uh, the early part of the first round, and look at players that maybe we didn't cover early on in in part one. So I think you guys are going to like that. It kind of ties a bow on everything, but we throw out some players' names that we did not throw out earlier. So I think you're going to like this as well. But go to part two now and check that out. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Setting the Pace. Follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3, over on Instagram at Pacers Talk, Facebook, TikTok, Setting the Pace. And then, of course... We are on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA, that's me, and Fachi's at underscore F-A-C-C-I. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Cut in the Pace of Pacers Podcast. And if you're excited for this draft content, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need